The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. And welcome wrestling fans to the Ice Hour. This podcast is aimed at promoting the world of Division Three college wrestling and is named for the late Hall of Fame coach Dave Eisenhower. Here we'll talk about topics and news that's relevant to those who compete for the love of the sport in Division Three. The Ice Hour is sponsored by My House Sports Gear. Check out their line of wrestling gear and apparel at MyHouseSportsGear.com. Subscribe using your favorite podcasting app by going to MattTalkOnline.com slash ice. Episode 9 of the Ice Hour D3 Wrestling Podcast. Today we're going to head to Pennsylvania. And for those of you fans in Division 3 in the East Coast, you kind of know where Messiah College is. But uh, for those in the Midwest that sit there and they're scratching their head, like where is this Messiah team coming from outside of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, the central PA area with head coach Brian Brunk of the Messiah College Falcons coming off a program-best second-place finish at the 2016 Division 3 Championships that completed a few weeks ago in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. First of all, Coach Brunk, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here, and thanks for all you do for Division Three wrestling in specific. Well, D3 has always said it's one of my most favorite tournaments to cover. I've been covering the event in some capacity since 2009. But when we go back to 2009, the first year I attended, Messiah wasn't even really a blip on the college wrestling radar. If you look at the last couple of years, it's been impressive. Second place, sixth place, third place. But before that, you're looking at 13th, 19th, and then 2010 and 2011, you guys didn't score a point at the national championships. So this has been uh, quite a rise for the program. Yeah, it has. It's funny that you mentioned 2009 because uh, 2009 was the national tournament that I I had my first All-American, a um, guy named Craig Jinn. Um, and before that, you know, it was kind of a monkey on my back. I was never an All-American in college. Um, I was an assistant coach at the University of Southern Maine for five years, and we didn't have an All-American. And I was kind of beating my head up against the wall, wondering if there was something wrong with me that I couldn't coach an All-American. And then 2009, um, our best wrestler that year tore his ACL and in, in halfway through the year and was out. And I thought, here we go again. Um, and then, you know, kind of like a, a phoenix rising from the ashes, Craig Jinn put together a great postseason run and, and was my first All-American in 2009. Um, and around that time, I, I kind of decided I was I was tired of being a, a pretty good team um, that maybe got a guy to Nationals every once in a while, had a, you know, had a chance to maybe have an All-American every once in a while. Um, and, and I wanted to be great. And I mean, sure, all of us say we want to be great. Um, but I, I think that uh, there's an engineering professor here at Messiah that, that um, has a T-shirt printed out for his engineering students that says, if you don't like your grades, then change your process. Um, and, and that's kind of one of the things that, that struck a chord with me is that I didn't like my results, so I needed to change our process. Um, and uh, about six years ago, we went to the drawing board, and I, I decided to take a look around. I said, what, are, what is the process that we're going through and how can we change that process? And I, I decided to look at 
some programs that I had great respect for that I thought were doing things in a special way um, and that maybe we could we could emulate. And um, I started with uh, American University and, and Coach Mark Cody at the time, who I thought was doing just amazing things with a small Division One program with less resources than the other Division One programs. But that year or, or the, the following year after we kind of got together, um, they were they were fifth in the nation in Division One. And I, I just wanted to know how they were doing it because I thought, um, you know, a lot of people didn't think that we could win at Messiah College because um, we have some unique circumstances that make uh, you know, make winning tough. I mean, I think winning is tough a lot of places where you haven't had a tradition or history of winning. Um, so, so we looked at um, an American, and I, I called up uh, a friend of mine, Steve Fittery, who was on the team at the time, and asked him if he could talk to Coach Cody and see if Cody would give me a day. And uh, he was happy to have me come down and just kind of hang out with him and, you know, watch what they were doing, um, you know, take some notes at practice. Uh, and then and then he took us out to dinner and we, we interviewed him for a couple hours and just, just picked his brain of anything we could think of that might work at Messiah. And when I came back, I decided that I would sit down with my assistant coaches and nothing was off limits, that we would scrap everything if we had to and start completely new because, again, I didn't like our grades. I was going to change our process. Um, and I think if if you're going to try to change things radically, you got to jump in with both feet, take big risks, and maybe fall flat on your face. I don't know. But uh, but that, that year we changed a, a ton of things in our process of everything from, you know, our phases of season and practice to how we run a, a, an each um, specific practice um, to, you know, just, just some team uh, – not not culture, but team expectations from practice and competition, team rules for competition. Um, and, and then, you know, we implemented all that, that stuff. And, and that year we got one guy to nationals and it was, it was not an instantaneous success, but then you, know, you listed off those years of 19th, 13th, uh, and then all of a sudden third in the nation. And, you know, each year we saw um, the process changes that we were making uh, reap a little bit more fruit in in the way of uh, success on the mats, and um, so it's been it's been a, a, a process. It's been a fun ride. Um, I, I never know when it's gonna gonna end. As far as you know, the, the type of results we've had the last three years, um, but we're gonna keep pressing and keep evaluating process every year and, and see what what tweaks and changes we need to make to to try to produce great results. Now you recruit a certain type of kid at Messiah anyway, as you said. It, it's got some unique things. It's it's a faith based institution. Uh, obviously, the name is Messiah might might uh, lead people to believe. But it, it sounds like you're explaining basically a regime change in the middle of a current regime. That that had to be a little shocking to some of the guys on the team. It was. I mean, we used to do things called red flag practices. Um, it was something I stole from my high school coach, and I'm sure a lot of programs do something called a red flag practice. But we used to do those in my first, you know, eight years or so of coaching here at Messiah. And then that first year that we came back, one of the seniors was like, uh, coach, every day is like a red flag day. Um, because we raised the intensity in our room. Um, we reduced uh, teaching time for technique. Um, we we kind of changed our expectation for how our guys were drilling. Um, you know, a lot of those in practice rules, um, you know, made practices a lot tougher. Um, and then, you know, the rule changes were hard for people to, to swallow. Um, and they were, there were weird little rule changes. Um, like in tournaments, we always now have a set aside 
place that our team congregates. We aren't in the, the gym for tournaments. And that was, that's hard for our team to um, accept that type of change. Cause in, you know, a lot of times in the past, they go sit with their, their friends and their, their girlfriends and their families in the stands in between their match and the next time they were going to wrestle. And um, we just kind of changed that as a, that was a thing I directly stole from Mark Cody. And, you know, th- those type of things were a challenge for some guys to, um, to accept or, or really to fully buy into. Um, but I was, blessed with a really incredible group of guys that year specifically. I mean, I have a lot of, um, you know, strong feelings about our guys. And, and, you know, I think that I have an incredible group of young men that I get to work with. Um, but that year in particular, I was blessed with a group that was ready to make a change. They were ready for a difference. And we talk about our team being different. We talk about our identity being different. And that group just really accepted that and applied it to the changes we were making our, like, like you mentioned, our, our in regime regime change um, that we made um, the guys accepted it and they were, they bought into it. They were excited about it. Um, they embraced it and they trusted me that, that the plan was uh, uh, worth taking the risk on and, and making these changes. Yeah, we look at the the stats coming into this season. Uh, the program had 23 All-Americans, 29 now, and 18 of those have been on your watch. And you, you look at the history and the tradition of the program, uh, Lucas Malmberg, Josh Thompson, both three-time All-Americans, Lucas with another year to go. And there's actually been five three-time All-Americans out in school history, so it's not like this has been a, a school that's lacked wrestling tradition. I think it's it's been like where it's been concentrated one or two athletes. What have you done to really make this a real team thing? I mean, six All-Americans in one year, 100 points, a lot of times that might be good enough to win a national championship. Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I don't have a, a clean answer. I think, um, you know, in some ways I, I was – serendipitously blessed, you know, um, that we, we kind of happened into some things that, uh, at the same time we were making some, some changes programmatically that we, we started getting some of our best recruits we'd ever had. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the team culture sells itself a little bit that guys come in on their visit and they want to be a part of, you know, kind of what, what we're cooking up as far as team culture goes. Um, I think we're having a lot of fun with our team as well. Um, and so I think it's an attractive program to be a part of, and maybe that's maybe that's helped to um, draw in you know more of of these kind of top notch guys. Um, in, in conjunction with a couple of those guys, I mean, you, you mentioned Josh Thompson. Josh was actually um, our first ever four time All American this year. Um, you know, he was a uh, national runner up, finished this year, and finished as our program's all time wins leader. Um, you know, placed in the nationals every year. Um, just an invaluable guy to to kind of attract more people like him to come to Messiah. Um, Lucas was a kid that, you know, he, he came to my uh, overflow intensity camp in the summer and he was sold on a team culture and a focus in wrestling that is different, I guess, than, um, than other, other places. I mean, it's a very Christ centric focus in why we wrestle, why we train, how we do it, what my purpose is going to be, where goals you know, equal wins, but purpose has nothing to do with wins. Purpose has everything to do with uh, glorifying our maker. And, and so I think that that does attract a special type of kid. Um, you know, Neil Turner, the coach before me did a fantastic job of raising the expectation, raising the um, uh, 
the belief in certain guys that they could be a national champion. Mike Helm was the first NCAA national champ at Messiah um, in the year 2000, and, and that year they had the two of their three-time All-Americans were together, Mike Helm and, and Chris Rogie, um, and those guys both placed in 2000 in the team team had a program best that at that point ninth place finish at the NCAAs um but I think because Neil Turner the way the 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 work he did um uh the way he inspired his guys to believe that it could be done at Messiah um you know he attracted you know guys like Andy Vogel who was a uh Ohio State champ and that's the type of wrestler that hadn't come to Messiah before Neil Turner um there's there's tons of guys that I could mention that were uh, next level recruits for Division three program in, in Central PA that that weren't the kids coming to Messiah before Neil Turner. So Neil Turner laid some great groundwork, and he left me in really good shape. He left the program in a good place for me to start and take over. And it took me a while to figure out my niche or my um, you know process, I guess. Um, and, and those years were the years that we were pretty good and still trying to get a guy to nationals. And it was it was like you said, it was individuals here and there. Um, and then there's a lot of, there's a lot of serendipity, like I said, where, you know, we started, um, this overflow intensity camp, um, at a similar time that we made these programmatic changes at a similar time that we ran into some, some of the right kids that were attracted by, you know, kind of the, the product that we were selling. Um, but then success breeds success. Um, you know, we, we, have the first year that we had, you know, uh, two all Americans in one year, uh, five years ago. Um, and that year was the first year I finally convinced every year I've been here. I was telling our entire roster, Hey, you need to get out to nationals. You you need to, um, be in that, that environment before you qualify so that you know what it feels like. And, and it's, you know, what the program needs right now. And, Every year, you know, one or two kids would make that trip or, you know, when it was in um, at the College of New Jersey, I think it was my my third year here or fourth year here was at the College of New Jersey. You know, we had maybe maybe 10 kids make that trip out there to, to TC&J. Um, but uh, we never had a, a great following. And then that year, five years ago, when we had our first time, we had two All-Americans. Um, we did some things. We jumped in all in. I, I had T-shirts made up for the national tournament with our qualifiers in the back and I had them ordered and, and paid for before we knew if we had anybody qualified for nationals. And, and we got two that year and it was a big deal because it was the first year that I'd had two guys qualify at once. Um, and then we had 15 guys make the trip out to, I think it was in, in Iowa or Wisconsin lacrosse. Um, we, we had the, you know, 15 guys make that trip out. So um, we started to see some little, culture change things um, that have grown into this year. We had 80 people, 80 plus people in the stands at Cedar Rapids, um, including our entire team that didn't qualify, made that road trip out there. Um, so I think that that success that we had a little bit, and, and at the same time that we were attracting a couple different um, individual recruits, um, we, we built on that and it started to attract more guys. And, um, you know, I had guys like Ben Suar, who was a national champ this year as a sophomore. Um, he came to my overflow intensity camp, um, in between his junior and senior year of, of high school, um, because he had heard it was a really good wrestling training. Um, and he liked the idea of a Christian camp. Um, and by the end of that week, he came to me and said, coach, I think I want this to be my college experience. Um, 
before that week, he was only really looking at some Division One programs. And, um, you know, there's a lot of kids out here in Pennsylvania who are state caliber kids who everybody's telling them they need to go Division One. Um, but those kids now, if they're the right fit for Messiah, are being attracted by, like I said, the product that we're putting out. Um, so I think that's a little bit of maybe how this has happened. But I think it's a, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of luck and, and a lot of um, providence at the, all at the same time. I was I was at the D1s talking with uh, Steve Borgia, an assistant at Franklin Marshall. He's an alum of Garden Spot High School, and he was telling me that Suar was was homeschooled. Yeah, Ben's a homeschool guy. He's he's a, a little bit of a uh, a Renaissance man as well. He he plays the fiddle. Um, he I, uh, I, dude like the guy already, man. I'm a huge Charlie Daniels fan. So <laughs> the fiddle, you got me there. Yeah, he's 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 a fun guy to be around. He's. He's really heady, really um, intelligent. Uh, he's a scholar, all American as well. Um, he is. He was a chemistry major. He's now changing his major to English. Um, so he's a you know he's he's a, a literature guy and and a, a music guy, and then obviously a great athlete and a, you know just a fine fine young man as well. Um, really really neat guy to to have on our team. One of the unique things about Division Three is you get that mix of state schools, private schools, a lot of faith-based institutions in Division Three. You also see a lot of that in the NAI, which we're adding programs left and right. And you know, we're getting the way the society is now. How hard is it to really recruit to a faith-based institution where there's a lot of uh, criticisms about, you know, where people are talking about God-free societies and things like that? And you've got to have the right type of kid, but. In Pennsylvania specifically, too, with, at Division Three level, 15 Division Three programs, now 16 with Keystone uh, adding a program. So you've got a huge bit to recruit against with just in Division Three, And then there's the faith-based aspect, and a lot of those schools are faith-based. So how do you go into uh, a, situ- a recruiting situation where the kid may not be fully into the faith-based thing, or you convince them, or is it something that they're, they're naturally going to have to want to be in that environment to go there? Because it's not like you're going to be recruiting a team of atheists at a school like Messiah. Yeah, it's a funny question, and it's, a, it, it's really um... – you know, it's really a long, drawn-out answer, but I'm going to go for it here. So, um, you know, to start with, um, I am unapologetically Christian. Uh, my whole life is around my, my relationship with Jesus Christ, and my relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, really saved me. Um, and, and and I know that there's a you know spiritual context to look at that, but you know, I think I was heading in the wrong way when I was in high school. Um, I was kind of an angry kid, not not from uh, you know, your typical Christian home. Um, my, my mom is an atheist. Um, but, uh, and I, and I was raised in a single, single parent home. So when I gave my whole life to Christ as a 14 year old, because somebody challenged me, um, to knowing that I was kind of really messing up, um, and, and I was heading in a wrong direction. Um, it, it completely turned my world upside down and I've not been anywhere close to the, the man I'm supposed to be ever since 14 years old, but I, but I try to pattern my life in that direction. And so I start with that. That's who I am. And I can't be anybody else. Um, at this point in my life, it's, it's, it's the direction I'm, I'm going. Um, so I start with just a very unapologetic nature about that. Um, you, you mentioned a little bit of the competition for recruiting and man, I think our, our big company, we have 16 division three schools here in Pennsylvania, but we have more coming, I'm sure. You know, I've heard things about schools in our conference that might be adding. Um, so, so there's competition coming. Um, 
And, but I think the biggest competition for me is all the division one opportunities in, in and around Pennsylvania, you know, all the best kids in Pennsylvania are recruited by anybody who, who will, that they'll talk to, you know, every, everybody from, you know, schools like Oklahoma state take Pennsylvania kids to Iowa to um, obviously the Penn States and, and those type of schools, Lehigh and, and the, the upper echelon schools. But then there's so many of these small division one schools in Pennsylvania and then just south of Pennsylvania that, you know, will take all the second and third tier Pennsylvania kids and, and anybody from Pennsylvania that makes it to States has division one teams talking to them. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to get that quality kid who's, who's a division one, you know, um, caliber kid really, um, because those are the kids who are in the division three finals. All of those kids um, had somebody in division one, at least talking to them um, when they were in high school. Who, who make it to the division three finals. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a ton of competition, um, but we present, uh, you know, a unique uh, uh, opportunity, I guess, to study at a faith-based institution. So there's certain kids who just are drawn to us. There's certain kids that are looking for this environment that says, um, Hey, in a culture that looks to be a little bit resistant um, or a lot bit resistant uh, toward uh, you know, people talking about God, people wanting God to be the king and ruler of their life. Um, there, there's a resistance to that in our culture right now. Um, and so there's certain people who like, they want to be in a place where they're not um, being, you know, kind of ostracized for, for wanting that relationship with God. And so some of those kids come to us. Um, but I also think that, that my faith and my commitment to Christ um, shapes me in a way that um, is primarily centered around uh, uh, love. Uh, so I think that our team, um, I hope it exudes love. Uh, and, and that's not just love for those who are like-minded, but but a love that is accepting, a love that is um, inclusive, uh, a love that, that doesn't judge or pass judgment or say that somebody is not worthy or whatever. Um, and so, you know, my God loves me despite my my shortcomings and he doesn't leave me in those shortcomings he he asked me to change he asked me to follow him but he still loves me and so i try to preach that to our guys we're a team that loves each other we're the team that loves our opponents we're a team that that loves our enemies um we're a team that that's trying to be typified by love and so we've had kids who you know don't really understand when they're when they're coming to my overflow intensity camp, they don't really understand that this is going to include a spiritual aspect, uh, or or that's a big part of what this is going to include, and they come anyway. We have had kids who come on a visit to Messiah, and they don't really know, you know, they, yeah, they've heard that they're a religious institution, but there's a lot of schools that are, you know, founded as religious institutions where they go, and it's not really a big part of the culture, and, and they they can you know deal with it and fit in, and it's not a big deal. Um, so there's kids that come on visits that. You know, maybe they don't they don't think that that's what it's going to be like. And then um, and then they hear a little bit more and maybe certain kids are, are scared away. And I think that happens. Um, but also, I think some kids who, you know, maybe they're, you know, it's it's something that they're OK with, but it's not something they were excited about when they start to see our program and our team culture and that we can have fun and that we're not kind of stiff, um, but also that we're a team that's typified by love. I think that that, that attracts a lot of people. Um, you know, Josh Thompson uh, was an atheist when he came to Messiah. 
Um, he is a local kid from the local high school. And he tells me about how he used to make fun of Messiah College because he couldn't believe anybody would go there. Um, but he's also a kid who um, was longing to be accepted and belong. And when he came, well, he and I knew each other and met through local wrestling clinics, and he came to a tournament that we were hosting, um, and we talked a little bit. And then he decided he was going to visit. And when he got to know me, he realized that he belonged, that he was accepted, that you know nobody was you know just saying he wasn't good enough of a person to to be part of our team. Um, and in his four years, he he's you know become a follower of Jesus Christ, and and he's become. Um, a better man for it. And, and, you know, it's not leaving him where he was, but before he was anything that he is now, he was accepted before he was, you know, part of, uh, you know, what I preach as far as how we live our life and, you know, what we believe in and how we treat others and all that kind of stuff. Before he was there, he knew he, he belonged and was loved. And, my relationship with Josh Thompson is a pretty special relationship. Uh, you know, Josh grew up a lot like I did in a, in a single family household where it felt like the world was stacked up against him, whether it was or not, that's how we felt growing up. Um, and, and I know that, you know, I know that I've become a, a bit of a father figure to Josh and, and I certainly view him in the same way. Um, and so like, like there, there's kids who aren't a great fit from the outside looking in to what we've built and what we're building who end up here anyway. And, you know, if they are willing to, to buy in and give it a chance and take a risk, they find that they're accepted. And it's, and it's an incredible thing to be a part of our, like, like I said, our team culture is, is a, a pretty attractive culture. I think. Last year I interviewed uh, Jason Bavenzi, who's an assistant coach at RIT. And it was about a situation that happened at the regional tournament last year with an RIT wrestler, Brad Mayville, and one of your wrestlers, Chris Williamson. And, the uh, those who want to go back and listen to it it's at madtalkonline.com slash 165 and the cliff notes version is first of all i'd encourage everybody to go back to listen to that episode it was actually one of the more popular episodes of the short time wrestling podcast but it was a situation where when chris was defeated uh he gave his headgear headgear to mayville and then mayville went on to wear that headgear at the d3 championships had the messiah fans uh cheering him on because they they knew the the, the backstory there uh, the situation. What was it like for you to to witness that as a coach and and see the response that other school that your school was given a kid from another team and, and just what Chris did and 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 basically building a friendship with Brad Mayville there over just simply giving him his headgear with a Bible verse in it. Yeah, it was awesome. It, it's it's it was really um, you know kind of gratifying that that this is a little bit of what we we preach that we're going to show love to our opponent. This guy just beat Chris and ended Chris's dream of going to the NCAAs. And, you know, you know, Chris was certainly a good enough wrestler to, to think that he could get there. Um, and yet he, he just did that little act of giving him his headgear and, and what he said to him. Um, so it was really gratifying to see our guys practice what I preach, I guess. Um, and then, you know, I wasn't surprised at all that our team adopted some guy and started cheering for him. It's kind of like it's something that we do. You know, if we see something, if our fans see something that they respect or admire or, or you know, that they can get behind, um, they have no qualms about cheering their hearts out for somebody else. It's just kind of it's 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 something that hopefully that I'm asking these guys to do and that they're hearing from me is that, you know, we we going to recognize and and honor um, character and effort and heart and and you know, the underdog and all those type of things that are, that are fun to cheer for anyway. Um, 
So that, that was a cool thing. And the, the, the further backstory that, that nobody knows except the guys in our program um, is that, you know, Chris stole that from one of my favorite wrestlers on Messiah's history is a guy named Ty Kanoff, who never made it to nationals um, and did basically the same thing. I believe it was Chris's freshman year. Um, we got a whole ton of weird traditions at Messiah. One of the traditions is there's one practice circle that there's a contract that who owns that practice circle. And some, some, you know, meatball started this tradition of saying, that's my practice circle. And when he graduated, he drew up a contract and passed it down to, to somebody else. Well, in that history of people passing down this practice circle, this guy, Ty Knuff, um, you know, he, he had been contractually, um, inherited this practice circle. Um, and then he passed that circle down to Chris Williamson. Um, well, Chris, you know, Ty was a senior when Chris was a freshman and, um, Chris had certainly admired and looked up to Ty. And, and when he saw Ty do the, basically the same thing, um, Ty's senior year at the, at the conference tournament at the time, it was the empire conference at the time. Um, but it didn't get that national play because the kid that, that Ty passed it on to didn't qualify to nationals either. And so there was not, um, a cool story behind it, I guess. Um, but, but there was, for, for me, that was, um, it was really heartwarming, um, humbling when I saw Ty do that first. And then I didn't know Chris was going to do that. Um, I actually didn't really know about it until, um, after the fact, you know, when Chris did it, he came off the mat and he was broken and we, you know, we're huddled around him and I was not actually aware that he had passed his headgear to the other guy. Um, and then I didn't really become aware to it of it until at the national tournament, uh, you know, Jason Bavendi came up to me and he said, Hey, you know, that's really awesome. What happened? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, so he, sh- he shared that with me um, at the tournament. And then I obviously, you know, I tuned in from there and it was really, really neat to see and, and watch and be a part of. Um, and like I said, really humbling that, that uh, our guys are living out, you know, what I preach and a lot of times better than I even live it out. It's just, it's, it's really gratifying um, as a coach to see that happen. Circling back to the coaching side of things, uh, you talked about how Neil Turner had set the table there at Messiah. Uh, once you got done competing, you'd started your career at Wheaton and then finished up at Western New England. Then you go to, to coach at Southern Maine under a guy who's a Hall of Fame coach, Ted Reese, uh, you know, kind of, you know, the tournament's named after him. The guy is a dean of coaching up in Maine and in New England in general. What did you learn from Ted Reese that that you were able to bring to your current coaching style? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, that question just got me tearing up, man, because Ted Reese is my hero. He's he's the guy that saved my life more than anybody else. Um, Ted was my um, it's hard for me to call him Ted. He's coach, but um, he he was my high school wrestling coach. Um, I I wrestled from at Bonnie Eagle High School up in Maine. I was in trouble all the time in high school. And before I got to the principal's office, Coach Reese was there ahead of me because somehow, you know, I was in trouble again. And he was getting my detention talked down to a demerit or he was getting my suspension talked down to a in-school suspension. Um, you know, I, I was a pretty angry kid at times and, you know, just rough. And, um, and, and really it wasn't horrible stuff. I was pretty justice oriented. And so I thought I was, thought I was just in standing up for stuff, but but Coach Reese stuck with me, was patient with me. Um, he, he's the most positive coach I've, I've ever met. Um, you know, I, the, only, the, the thing I never wanted to do as a kid was disappoint Coach Reese. 
Um, if I thought that, uh, you know, somebody else was mad at me, I didn't really care. But if Coach Reese was – and Coach Reese was never mad at me. He was only disappointed in me if I made some stupid mistake or, or acted like a fool. Um, but even there, he was so patient with me. Um, Coach Reese always had something positive to say when you walked off the mat. Um, and, man, there were times where you had to be coached up, and he'd get around to that. But the first thing he said was positive. You never wondered if Coach Reese believed in you, and you never wondered if he was proud of you if you wrestled for Coach Reese. Um, I, I, I circled back to that this year, and the first thing I told my guys at my team meeting is it's my goal this year that when you walk on the mat, you know I believe in you. I believe you can do it. And it's my goal this year that no matter what happens, when you walk off the mat, that you, that you come shake my hand. It's a team rule. You come shake my hand. That when you shake my hand, you know I'm proud of you for the effort you gave no matter what the result was. Um, and that's something I learned from Coach Reese. Um, Coach Reese designed every practice was meticulously designed, and I'm kind of like infamous for between you know in my guys, but for having every minute of every practice practice planned out. We have a practice book for every year. I have all 13 of them sitting here in my office with me, um, and. Every year that um, that we have this practice book, I, I put the new practice plan in the, in the book the day of practice. So the guys rush into practice, they get to the book, and they want to see what's on the on the on the plan for practice. And every minute of every practice is blocked out on a one page practice plan. That's something I stole from Coach Reese. Um, you know, certainly just this intense work ethic and this you know kind of like zany view of ourselves of how hard we work and all that kind of stuff is stuff I, I stole from Coach Reese. Um, but Coach Reese was also the most generous giving person I know. Um, he would drop everything to, to be there for you. He would drop everything to, um, you know, to, I mean, he literally as a, as a high school kid, um, growing up in a, in a single parent household, most years I didn't have new wrestling shoes. And every year, like clockwork coach would, would first, first day of practice would be like, Oh, Brian, I bought these new shoes. They don't fit me. Why don't you try them? And he, so even the way he was, being generous was with grace so that you didn't feel like you were getting a handout. Uh, he told me one year that I got a scholarship to Jim Peckham's um, wrestling camp. And I got down there and, you know, the guy uh, asked me my name and I, I said, you know, Brian Brunk. He goes, oh, yeah, you're the guy that Coach Reese, that Ted Reese paid for. I'm like, well, I, I got a scholarship. You know, no, Coach Reese paid for me to go to wrestling camp. I mean, that's that's the type of man he is. And obviously, um, more than anything he did monetarily or materially, was his time. He, he would just, um, he would give any drop everything he's doing to give me time. And, and that's a policy I have with my team. Um, I tell my guys that my, my office door is open. If I don't have a deadline and you show up at my office, I will stop doing whatever I'm doing to give you time because I, I believe that that is why I'm coaching. Those are parts of the purpose of, of coaching. Um, Coach Reese didn't have any, any children of his own. Um, I send him father's day cards. Um, I, I had him sit in the front row of my wedding. Uh, I named I named my daughter after him. My daughter's name is Reese um, because of Coach Reese. Uh, and so, yeah, he's he's my hero. Um, I would do anything for the man. I, I tried to get him. I kept trying to get him to come down this year. Um, he's 79 years old now, and uh, he has Parkinson's disease. And, and I just, um, I covet every second that I can spend with him, um, you know, in, in, on this earth. And, uh, you know, he, he I tried to get him to come down this year for a couple weeks, and, and he said he was going to do it, and then then when I tried to get him to come, he wouldn't wouldn't do it. He didn't want to be a burden, and and he you know his his health wasn't great. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't talk long enough or strongly enough about my relationship with with Ted Reese and how I view him as as a man, and um, you know, I want to be like him. He, he's my hero in life.
You, you talk about the way you talk about Ted Reese. And you talk about uh, you know how he, it seems like obviously he was a mentor to you, and now uh, you're you were the NWCA Division Three Coach of the Year. D three Wrestle uh, just named you also a Division Three Coach of the Year. I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that Andy's a Messiah alum and runs the <laughs> site, but but we look at it, and then uh, you know your assistant coach uh, Craig Hogan was the assistant coach of the year, and you look at the staff, and I remember really fully seeing what Messiah was in terms of its fan base. You talked about going to nationals last year in Hershey. And I'm like, okay, it makes sense. They're right down the road. Cedar Rapids, boom, another huge group here. And then they're cheering everybody, you know, cheering coaches. And, uh, you know, when you, you mentor that type of thing, what's it like to now be viewed as a mentor for your staff? I mean, you've got a pretty impressive staff. Uh, what do they bring to the program? And, and what have you learned from them? And what have you tried to teach them uh, as part of this program? Yeah, I mean, I I saw this morning that I was named to that D3 thing, and I don't think it's probably because Andy's an alum. I think it's probably because Andy's my buddy. Um, you know, all the things that I've studied with coaching, Andy Vogel studied right alongside me. We went on that trip to American University together. We went up to Penn State the next year together to visit with, with Cale Sanderson and pick his brain. Um, we talk, I talk with Andy almost on, on a daily basis and we always talk coaching and wrestling and, you know, how we're going to figure things out. And, um, you know, he's a great coach. Um, they're getting better and better. I think their time's coming where, where they're going to be, um, you know, breaking through and being a, a, a player on the national scene at Gettysburg. Um, got a ton of respect for him and, and just love the guy too. Um, but yeah, our, our staff is phenomenal. Our staff is, um, they're, they're, they're incredibly loyal. They're incredibly, um, dedicated. They work so hard. Um, and you know, I, 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 I preach a little bit of, you know, with our guys that when you win an award, when you're an all American, your training partner deserves that award just as much as you do. And so, you know, sometimes we have guys who, um, come off the award stand and, and find find their training partner and give them their trophy. We had that happen this year, actually, where one of our guys found his training partner and handed him his All-American trophy um, because he, he believed that that training partner pushed him to get there and deserved it as much as he did. Um, I feel that way about our, our coaching staff. Um, you know, any award that I get is is really just a, a byproduct of the work that those guys are putting in. Um you know, I can't, I can't turn the, like, I can't get these coaches away. I mean, these guys are all guys who wrestled for me. A hundred percent of our coaching staff wrestled for me for all four years of college. Um, we got guys like Rico Plummer, who's our graduate assistant, who was an all American for us. We got guys like Dominique Commodore, who just is a tireless recruiter. Um, he, he's, uh, uh, was a four year wrestler for me an all conference wrestler for me. Um, Derek Ricker, who was a freshman, my first year here at Messiah. He's been with me forever. Um, just a, a, a he, he does a thankless job. He doesn't care about any recognition, doesn't even want the recognition. Um, he has a full-time job working in insurance, but he shows up to practice on, on a daily basis. He works extra with the guys behind the scenes. He meets with guys to mentor them spiritually without any desire to get recognized. Um, Michael Bressler, the guy that wrestled for me for four years as well, um, same type of guy, works full-time in insurance. He's at practice every single day, stays after practice to work extra with guys. Um, watches video with guys. And then, and then you got, we, we call him Pappy because the, the joke is that Craig Hogan's been here longer than I have. Um, it took him a while to get through college. Um, he was, he was, um, here and then gone and then here and then gone. And then and I think it, you know, ended up being, um, you know, probably like six or seven years from the, t- the, from the day he showed up as a freshman to when he, he graduated. And then he's been with me ever since as a coach. Um, and Craig Hogan never started for Messiah. 
Um, he was behind guys like Matt Cross and Rico Plummer, who were all Americans. And he would beat guys during the season at a tournament. He'd beat guys that were nationally ranked or guys that made it to national. So he was a very good wrestler, but he never started for us. And he is a phenomenal coach. I watch him teach technique sometimes and I think, well, man, he has a better grasp on this technique or this position or what you should do this strategy um, than I do. And I've been coaching college wrestling now for like 18 years, but this guy has a better grasp on certain things than I do. Um, he also doesn't, um, doesn't just stop with his, his technique. He, he builds relationships with the guys on his, on his team. Um, we, we divide our team up in, into each of our assistant coaches. So every, every guy on the team knows he's going to get coached by me. And then, um, every eight guys or so is, is assigned to one of our assistant coaches that to spend a little extra time with them personally to mentor them, but also watching video and, and doing technique and, and coming up with uh, an understanding of their style and strategies for them and things like that. And Craig spends so much time with his guys on, on his group. Um, and then you know, Craig is fully in charge of our strength and conditioning program. I don't do a thing with it. Um, and one of the things that's been um, simultaneous with um, our, our kind of rise to division three um, notoriety or whatever has been Craig's, um, control of the strength and conditioning program. He comes up with a new strength program every two to three weeks um, because he, he believes in keeping it fresh and um, he believes in phases of, of strength training and conditioning training for different parts of the season. I mean, all really smart stuff. Um, and, and I don't even think about our strength program. I don't think about when we need a new part of it, when we need to change it up. I don't even think about if the guys are doing it because Craig Hogan has taken it full and I don't have to worry about it. So um, yeah, all of those guys are just an incredible support and they deserve so much of the credit for anything that we've done. Um, but more importantly than all that, they're fun to coach with. I just really enjoy them as friends. Um, you know, it's neat to see relationships more from being, um, you know, their coach as, as, you know, when they're an athlete and I'm a coach, it's, it's a very different relationship than now when I've coached with each of them three, four, five years, um, you know, or more with Derek Ricker, uh, they just morph into like these friends and colleagues where we can bounce ideas off each other. And heck we can talk about families and, and personal issues and problems. And, you know, they're just friends and it's, it's really uh, been rewarding to develop those relationships outside of just coaching with them as well. I want to talk about this, this year's team a little bit is in 2014 was a program high with four all Americans in that third place trophy. Now this year you shatter it with six, a second place trophy, a hundred points. And, of the guys that are, are part of that team, only two were seniors. So you got four returning All-Americans just from this year's team, five, you know, five qualifiers with, with tournament experience, at least from 2015-16. And I want to look back, and I'm thinking that 14 team uh, kind of was was the catalyst for maybe, you, you know, getting guys like, uh, you know, Swar and Haneke to come in because, you know, they were, uh, they're sophomores now. But how much of an impact did Caleb Lowe win in a national title at 141 and just dominating that year uh, is a guy that wasn't really on my radar in high school. And then he comes out and I'm like, well, who is this kid just wrecked the entire season? Uh, you know, how, how much of an impact is a national champion? You know, it had been 14 years since the only other one. Yeah. What was that impact on the program? I mean, it can't be overstated. Like, Caleb Lote coming to Messiah made a huge impact. I love to call Caleb Lote my remote control wrestler. I'm excited because Caleb Lote's coming back to Messiah next year as our grad assistant. Um, Rico Plummer's graduating with his master's degree, looking for jobs. If you know any anybody who wants a, an incredible coach in his in their athletic department, um, he's looking for jobs now. Um, Caleb Lote has accepted the position as graduate assistant for next year. Super excited to have him back, obviously. 
But uh, I called him my remote control wrestler because he would do anything I asked him to do. I taught him a move once in the middle of his match. He was looking over and I'm kind of like making body positions and trying to direct him and figure out. And he's like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And he did it. Pinned the kid. Um, he used that, you know, that was the movie pinned the kid within the first round of nationals the year he won, won the nationals. Um, just tireless work ethic. Um, you know, it, guys did not like being his practice partner cause he did not take an easy day. He was just, just drill as hard as he could and wrestle as hard as he could willing to try stuff in practice. He did not care if he got taken down in practice. He was trying stuff. He was getting better at wrestling every wrestling practice. Um, and then, you know, he figured some stuff out, you know, he was very good as a freshman. Um, you know, and, and I think that, that for me, it was the first kind of like elite freshman that came in. And, and from that year on, we had one freshman come in every year that was kind of an elite freshman for like, you know, new, like four years in a row or something. Um, so, you know, Caleb was the first of those. He was, he was a Pennsylvania state place winner. He placed sixth in, in Pennsylvania in triple in a in big schools. And uh, I knew we, we had a good wrestler when he, when it's, we're talking about a Pennsylvania state place winner, three-time qualifier. I didn't know how good he was going to be. And certainly he developed in his time at Messiah. His sophomore year w- would have been a really good year. Um, he blew out his elbow, actually dislocated his elbow three weeks before the regional. He actually wrestled at the regional three weeks later with his giant elbow brace and just was not, you know, right. But he went, he went out to nationals. That was, you know, we'd already been in the practice of going to nationals as a team. So he went out to nationals as a sophomore and he was fuming in the stands. He, he couldn't stand it because he saw four or five kids place at nationals in the bracket or whatever. I'm not sure what the number was, but there was, you know, a, a large number that placed in four or five kids in the bracket that he had beaten on the year. And so he was just fueled going into that junior year. He was on fire and hungry and, and tireless working and, and, and confident because he saw kids that he beat placing at nationals. Um, and then he rolled, you know, that year at the Franklin and Marshall open, um, he pinned the kid uh, in the semifinals or quarterfinals. He pinned the kid that had beaten him for fifth and sixth, the Pennsylvania States. Um, that kid was a, a lock Haven wrestler. Um, so, you know, he just was really rolling and, and, uh, you know, excited to be wrestling, um, you know, in, in the, in the national tournament at, finally after feeling like he, he blew it his freshman year and then he got it taken away from him his sophomore year a little bit. So he just wrestled with a, a kind of a gratitude to be there. Uh, he wrestled free. Um, he wrestled with, uh, a desire to win the nationals, but not a need to win the nationals. And I think that's important. We talk about our guys have a desire to win. They want to win, but they don't need to win. And that kind of frees them up in a way, you know, I know some people might even disagree with me on that philosophy, but I think it frees them up when you need to win for it to be your identity, for it to be your value or your worth. I mean, you're, you, some people end up wrestling afraid to lose, but when you just want to win, but if you lose because you're going for it, you make a mistake or somebody was better than you, it doesn't rock your world. Um, I think it frees you up to pursue and wrestle with a freedom and and an effort and an attitude that just gives you your best performance. And that's how Caleb was wrestling that year. And then certainly not just externally as in attracting more recruits, but internally having the guys on the team see Caleb win a national title. And there were guys on that team who they're like, they can hang with Caleb in practice or they had taken Caleb down that week. Um, Knowing Caleb as a person, they said, okay, he can do it. I can do it too. Um, and, you know, we get guys like, you know, equal to, to the importance of a, of a Caleb Lowe winning the Nationals for us. Guys like Ben Kramer, 
who was a two-year backup in his, his junior year, something clicked for him, and he was an All-American um, the year before Caleb won it. Um, you know, he, Ben Kramer was an All-American, coming from being a backup as a sophomore to an All-American as a junior, and and sort of a you know an under the radar recruit. He never made a state tournament in high school. Um, having a, a guy like Ben Kramer place at nationals, um, or Tim Stewart the year before him, who you know Ben Kramer told me when he was warming up for the All American round at nationals, he was thinking about Matt Cross, who was really pretty phenomenal athlete, who was a, an All American for us the year before. Um, and he's like, well, man, Matt's so much better than me. I don't know if I can do it. And then he thought about Tim Stewart. He's like, wait a second. I'm as good as Tim Stewart. I can place at nationals. So having guys like a, a, a Caleb Lowe win the nationals or a Ben Kramer place at nationals or a Steve Cannon make it to nationals internally has inspired guys on our team to think, hey, why not me? I can do this too. I wrestle with that guy in practice every day and I can hang with him or I can beat him or whatever. You know, I can do this too. Um, and so, you know, we, we see guys like Ben Swar or Jeff Haneke coming to Messiah as maybe an offshoot of guys like Caleb Lote winning the championship. But we see guys like Jason Wright um, figuring it out his senior year and being a one-time All-American, but his senior year wrestling the best he's ever wrestled in the postseason and becoming an All-American. Um, guys like that maybe becoming an All-American because they know and they've wrestled with guys every day for three or four years and they they know that they can do it too because that guy did it before them um i think that those two two things have been you know vastly important and can't be overstated of how they've affected our whole team on your coaching profile you say when you talk about messiah it says we strive to win but it's not our overriding purpose make no mistake winning is a clear goal but it's not our purpose you talked about that purpose earlier and i want to tie that back into what you just said about why not me in the case of Division Three wrestling, it's only been Wartburg or Augsburg for as long as anybody can remember. What is it about Messiah that, that maybe has you guys believing, why not us in being the team that's going to knock, knock one of those two powerhouse programs off and, and win a national title for the first time in decades? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe it. I believe we can do it. I'm going to work hard at it until we do it. And if we, and if we don't get there, I'm going to be okay. And if we do get there, I'm going to be okay. Um so I think that that's the, the why not me is, is part because we want it really bad, but we don't need it. it it's not going to define us if we win a national title. It's not going to define us if we don't win a national title. Um, I think we're a pretty f- great team right now, and it's been fun to be a part of, and, and nothing can change that we're a good team. If if we had received the help from other teams out there in Division Three that Augsburg received the year before, our point total would have won nationals this year. You know, Warburg, Warburg put it together, and, and Coach Keller is a phenomenal coach. Um, I have a ton of respect for him. I really like him as a person. And they responded to a disappointing national tournament the year before without being denied this year. Um, they had five in the finals. But I look at how we wrestled. We wrestled well enough to win a national title in a lot of years. So we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep recruiting the kids that we think can help us get there. We're going to, we're going to go after, we're going to shoot for the moon. I'm not going to back down and, and shy away from recruiting a kid. Cause I think he might be looking at a, a division one school. We're going to shoot for the moon recruiting. We're going to work tirelessly there. We're going to work tirelessly developing our guys. And we're going to work tirelessly on team culture and identity within our individuals so that every year we feel like maybe we can have a chance, maybe us this year. Why not us? Um, and part of the why not me is, um, you know, when people think, well, I can't win here, I would argue with them, have you had an All-American? Have you had a national champ? If you've gotten one, why can't you get two? 
if, if we convinced one Lucas Malmberg, who was a two-time New York State champ, to come to Messiah, to, that it was worth it for him to be here, um, that it was worth some of the sacrifices, that the team culture was was attractive, if we can convince one Lucas Malmberg, why can't we vin- convince two? Um, if we can find, you know, uh, a Ben Soir who comes to our overflow camp and says, this is my camp, this is my college experience. This camp is what I want for my college experience. Why can't we find two of them? Um, and if you can find two, why not four? You know, so they're out there. The, the recruits are out there. And then if we can develop one Steve Cannon who, or one Ben Kramer, Steve Cannon was a Maryland state qualifier, never placed in, in the Maryland states and stuck with us for, for four years, was a backup freshman, sophomore, junior year, Senior year breaks the lineup. Didn't even wrestle great first half of his senior year. And we figured some stuff out and he developed into a national qualifier who from the seven seed placed second at the regional and then came a, a match away from um, placing at the nationals, beat a seated guy at the nationals, got to the all American round, um, lost to a, a great wrestler, Cedric Gibson from whitewater in the all American round. Um, if we can develop one Steve Cannon, why can't we develop multiple guys? We have plenty of guys on our roster right now who have the talent, the baseline talent and wrestling experience to develop into being an All-American caliber wrestler, to be the next Jason Wright, who took four years to figure it out, but but was an All-American at the end, um, to be the next Ben Kramer, who was a backup for two years and then was an All-American the next year. Those guys, those athletes are on our roster right now. If we can develop those two, why not, why not a couple more? Why can't we do it again? So the why not is is there's there's history here that shows that we we can do it with an individual that we can convince a recruit to come here there's history that shows that we're we're capable of doing so and we need help to do it you know and we need you know we need to keep working we need to keep getting better and it might not happen and i'm going to work every year thinking it's it could happen this year and I'm going to be okay with if it doesn't happen this year. And I'm only going to be okay with if it does happen. It won't make me. It won't define me as a coach if it happens because it's only a goal. My purpose, my identity, and my value have been preset. They're already taken care of. So anything that I accomplish as a coach is only a goal. And, and that's, you know, that's the mentality that I have. It's a mentality that I try to, um, you know, inspire in my wrestlers. And, uh, and so I, I do think it, it could happen. And I do think why not us? couple things I want to touch on uh, as we wrap up here. First thing is uh, the impact of the wrestling program on the, the campus in general, the administration. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, I live 12 minutes from Augsburg, so I know uh, what the student support is like there. I've, I've been to, to duels at Wartburg and, and other Division three schools. And when there's a successful team, you know, the student body is going to get behind it. The administration is going to get behind it. Uh, how, how, how has it been like even in, in the darker years, I guess, so to speak, where, uh, you know, you weren't scoring any points at nationals and the, the student support, the other, other teams that support? Cause, uh, we see that, uh, you know, when smaller schools and division three schools, you know, the athletes uh, tend to roll together. They, they support each other and do so many different things, uh, whether it's uh, going to a soccer game, a volleyball game, a basketball game together. What has been the wrestling program's impact on uh, not just the, the athletic situation at Messiah, but the, the greater student body and the campus in general? It's been really neat. Um, you know, to start with in those darker years, uh, I always felt supported. Um, I always felt supported by administ- my administration. Um, you know, Jack Cole, our athletic director, is absolutely phenomenal, has always been phenomenal, has always backed me up in it as a friend. Um, and, and, and that's even before we've had the success we've had now. Um, Jerry Chaplin, his predecessor, was the same way. Um, Kim Phipps, our president, is 
an incredible woman. I think she's the greatest college president that I, that I've ever been associated with or, or known of. Um, she's having the wrestling team over to her residence for, for dinner again this year. Um, you know, she's done that probably four or five times since we've been at Messiah, including years that we, um, we're not the team that we are now. So it's not like just we've had success. So she's going to have the wrestling team over to honor them. It's more like she cares about the student body. So she tries to have lots of groups over to, to um, get to know them. And so she, she's an incredible support. Um, we, we've always had pretty good support from, uh, you know, the student body at our, our home duels, like people come out and support and, you know, want to be behind it and want to be a community of, of people here at Messiah. And certainly with our, with our athletes, man, like, I started here looking at the soccer team and, you know, you talked about why not us in the last question. And, you know, that was one of my answers early before we had any success was, well, the soccer teams can do it here. Why can't we do it here? Somebody can do it. Why can't we? So, um, you know, I plugged into not just the soccer coaches, but the, the members of the team and just picked their brains for team culture and how they, you know, carry some stuff out and how they are able to accomplish some dif- different things in team culture. And, uh, and, those guys are always so welcoming and inviting and the teams all go out to each other's events. You know, we have a, a group on campus called spandex sports stick together. And like, it's all the, the teams who are maybe a little less supported wrestling, um, cross country, track and field, volleyball and swimming, all sports that, you know, their, their uniforms are a lot of spandex and, and they, they end up going out to all each other's events. And sometimes in some zany ways, I know, the wrestling team is at the, they have one home cross country event every year. And the wrestling team is there in their singlets running up and down the course and jumping out with signs and yelling at the guys the whole way down there, you know, at different spots, the whole way down their course in, in their home cross country meet. Um, and those teams do the same for us. Um, they come out to our matches and just really, there's a lot of camaraderie. Um, and that's certainly grown as we've had success. Um, as we've had success, there's teams who are now picking my brain. I, I went to, the lacrosse team's devotions last night because they asked me to speak at their devotional. Um, so there's, there's things like that going on the other direction now where teams want to pick our brains. Um, and you know, my, the support from our, our, our athletic department, specifically our athletic director has grown too with our success. I mean, Jack Cole came out to the nationals this year. Um, he put on a reception on Friday night for every Messiah fan that was there. Um, you know, he rented out a, a, a restaurant and had a whole big buffet spread. Uh, Must have cost him a bunch of money from the athletic department. But um, on Friday night after the tournament, we all drove over to this restaurant. I had the guys who were wrestling. You know, obviously the guys who were competing were there for about 20 minutes and then got them out to the hotel to go to sleep. But but that type of support that says, hey, we value what you're doing. You're important to us, even though it's wrestling and it's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We care about it. Um, that support's been just really evident and, and it's been fun to be a part of. One thing in terms of competition, uh, people that wrestle Division Three, they, they know what they're getting into. They know it's not scholarship, but uh, you've also had the opportunity to take athletes to the Midlands uh, the last couple of years. Uh, of course, Thompson wrestled down at 74 this year at that, and, and Lucas Malmberg has, has competed in that in the last couple of years. When you look at the opportunities to compete beyond the Division Three level. Division Three, to me, again, it's a lot of fun. It's 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 a crazy tournament. But uh, what do those opportunities mean for those athletes that get get the chance to wrestle uh, in the opens against D one competition? You talked about Loton and the kid from Lockhaven, but like something as prestigious as the Midlands, where this this is a big deal. It's the only time 
uh, you know, Thompson took a loss until the national finals. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about the ability to wrestle better competition in a lot of ways, but sometimes the, the gap between division three athletes and division one athletes isn't as, as obscene as it might seem to a lot of general wrestling fans. Yeah, I agree. I think there's great wrestling in division three. And I think we have just some really quality um, guys and, and, and athletes and competitors. And uh, so, so, we've sought out those opportunities for two reasons. And one reason is just to give those guys that, that confidence that they can compete at a high level and, and that, you know, kind of neat, neat experience. Um, you know, like Lucas Malmberg as well. I mean, he, he got, he got headlocked and pinned by one D three guy this year, but other than that, um, and he was winning eight to one at the time, but other than that, uh, his only losses on the year were at the Midlands. And so, um, you know, like we're looking for great opportunities for these guys to compete at the highest level that they're capable of. Um, Caleb Lote and Lucas Malmberg both competed in the world team trials in Greco-Roman wrestling. One year, I, I don't know why, but Greco-Roman decided any finalists from any of the other divisions beside Division One got an automatic invite to the world team trial. So our guys said, yeah, why not? You know, and they got smoked but but they but they had fun going down and competing at that level. Um, you know, that's a whole different level world team trials and in a whole different style Greco, but, um, you know, having a chance to compete at, you know, this year we competed with Lock Haven in a dual meet and we won three matches and we were within two points of winning two more matches. Um, I mean, it tells these guys that we belong with, with some of these programs and we can compete at a high level. Um, and it, and it's a fun experience. We had, you know, Jeff Haneke beat Cody Weircock this year from Pitt, who was a, a D1 national qualifier at the Lock Haven Invitational. So we sent two guys to Midlands and we sent five other guys or six other guys, something like that, to the Lock Haven Invitational. Um, so we're looking for those opportunities for, for our top guys to continue to be challenged. Um, and the other thing that I tell people is we're going to chase down losses. I'm not afraid to lose. I, I'm not afraid to lose as a team. I'm not afraid to lose as individuals. I actually want that experience. If it's, if it's out there to be had, I want to chase down losses before we ever get to our postseason. Cause these guys need to face adversity and know how they're going to be able to respond to adversity. Um, cause if we're going to win a team title some year, the guy who's seated first is going to get upset. You've been there. You've, you've written about it. You've talked about it every year in the division three tournament. There's huge upsets, division one tournament as well, but in division three tournament, there's huge upsets every single year. How many division one, uh, I mean, division one, uh, seated first guys lost this year at the, at the division three tournament. I think it was three in the first yep. round or second round. Um, if we're going to win a team title, some year a, a first seated guy is going to get upset. And I need to know that they're going to respond to adversity in the right way and storm back through and take third. Um, if they can do that, then, then we have a chance to win every year. Um, and, and I think that you only know how to do that when you face some adversity along the way. So, so, you know, I think it was it was invaluable to Lucas to face that adversity at the at the Midlands this year. He was beating both the guys that beat him. He he went he went one and two at Midlands. He he was he took the guy from Iowa State down three times, and the kid wouldn't quit, and the kid came back and and beat him. And then he took the the guy from Arizona State down three times and put him on his back, and still ended up. You know, the kid just did, had no quit in him, and I think that's. One of the big differences we noticed at that was just the the level. These guys face that adversity in their room every day. Lucas doesn't face that adversity in our room every day. Um, so, like, having that um, adversity uh, at, at the Midlands, and then we get to Nationals, and in the second or third round, you know, the kid from Washington and Jefferson was game. He, he was bringing it to Lucas, and Lucas found himself essentially behind. It was a tie score, but the other kid had about – three or four seconds over the one minute for riding time with 30 seconds left in the match. 
Lucas nearly lost in the quarterfinal round, but with 30 seconds left to go in the match, he knew he knew what it felt like to face adversity, and he was the one this time that just had no quit in him, and he got the takedown, right? So did that happen as a direct result of the Midlands competition? Probably not, but um, but at least I know that it had some influence on, on Lucas's um, – ability to face adversity and respond to it, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to do that every year we can, um, you know, every year that the Midlands invites us, you know, we'll bring our best guys there. Um, and you have to get an invite to go out there. So, you know, we put in for bids every year and then, and then there's other opportunities like the Franklin Marshall open or, or lock Haven duel or the lock Haven invitational that we'll, we'll continue to participate in as well. You've used the word zany a bunch of times <laughs> to describe your team and, and the coaching staff and yourself a little bit, but uh, the last story, I want you to tell is about this bucket list. We had talked prior to, to the interview about, uh, you know, some, some nuances of the program. Explain what the bucket list is in terms of Messiah wrestling. Okay. So I mentioned this guy, Ty Kanoff, who's one of my favorite all time Messiah wrestlers. Um, and Ty never went to nationals for me. He was a two year starter. He gave me a ton of trouble his freshman and sophomore year. Um, wasn't a, a great culture fit for those first couple of years, but he made some big changes in his life. And then, uh, Going into his senior year, I wanted to make him a captain. Um, I needed a commitment from him that he was not going to mess with alcohol the whole time that he was um, at school his senior year, no matter what he felt about it, that from the time he arrived to the time he graduated, in season, out of season, vacation or not, he was going to not do that. He said, okay, coach, I can promise you that, but I need to tell you, when I've gotten in trouble, it's been because I was bored in the off season. So get ready. Things are going to get crazy. And I kind of said, okay. Uh, I'll take any type of calls that things are crazy as long as you guys are doing, you know, good, clean fun, so to speak. So this was, this was about five or six years ago. Um, and Ty Knuff invented what he called the bucket list. And that year he and, um, the other seniors, Matt Cross, Tim Stewart, Chris Hardenberg, Danny Lethbridge, Andrew Rensel, David, David Arkeblum, they, they created this bucket list of things that they wanted to do before they left Messiah. And the bucket list, it has become a tradition. Every year, the seniors create a list of things they want to accomplish before they graduate from Messiah. The bucket list does not start until after the season's over because, you know, during the season, we're a little bit more about business. We have a lot of fun, but it can't be as, as zany fun, as you said. That, that's a word I use um, as, as it happens in the off season. So, I mean, they started doing things like every year, part of the bucket list has been what something they call Pokemon Day. And every wrestler on the team dresses up like a Pokemon character. And I, I don't know the show Pokemon or whatever, but all the kids. Yeah, trust know. me, you're, you're better off not I'm, knowing. I'm sure. But all, all the, the underclassmen dress up like a Pokemon character. And all the seniors dress up like a Pokemon trainer. And they paint these tennis balls red and white. And then their job is throughout the day, whether it's in class or in the dining hall or in the dorms or anywhere, they have to capture their Pokemon team by throwing one of these tennis balls at them and hitting them. So we're walking around campus. Professors have gotten into it. Last year, there was a professor as the guys walked in and they were dressed funny like Pokemon characters. They said, sorry, we're you know doing this Pokemon day. This is what happens. And she says, okay, I'll teach from the door today so that nobody can come in and, and get you guys. Um, I certainly have gotten some calls from people who don't, like some of the stuff that's going on because it's zany. Um, it's, it's maybe a little disruptive, um, but it's good, clean fun. Um, and so like at the end of the day, they all have their Pokemon teams and they go to the, the student union and they put on a Pokemon battle with some Pokemon battle simulator on the computer. And it's a, it's a hoot. Um, they've done things like flash mobs. They've done things like 
They did a lumberjack day once where they just dressed up like lumberjacks and went to a diner and ordered pancakes. Just stupid, zany, weird, wild stuff. Um, And I don't even know what it's going to be. I am not part of it, thank goodness. Um, but I but I observe it from the outside, and I'm I'm seeing how much fun these guys are having, how over themselves they're willing to get. They're not taking themselves too seriously, um, and then how it binds the team together. This team, you know, they're in the off season, and everything doesn't have to be about lifting weights, running, and wrestling all the time. Part of our success, I believe, is that we're a team that loves each other. And part of building a team that loves each other is having a lot of fun together. So that's just kind of a microcosm of our team culture, that they're going to be a little zany, a little weird, a little wild. Um, but they're but they're not afraid to be different, and they're not afraid to have a lot of fun. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of our many traditions that we do. And if you saw my beard on the first day of Nationals, you can see other traditions that, you know, we do all kinds of crazy zany stuff to try to not take ourselves too seriously, try to keep having fun. And try to be a, a team that, you know, people want to be a, a part of, that people are attracted to. I, I, I still can't get over the whole Pokemon thing because, uh, yeah, that's something we never – we had a bunch of crazy roommates in college. Yeah, it was never Pokemon. So, uh, <laughs> well, gotta give Pokemon's one of the more tame things. So, I, I you know, there's some things that I'm like, they're so weird that I just, <laughs> I just leave it to them and I'm not going to even get into it on this. But, but the Pokemon's – is actually on the tame side of some of the stuff they do for the, for the bucket list. I, I think we, we might, the closest we might've had is Halloween. We, we dressed up as characters from dragon ball Z, but uh, that was, that was, that's another story <laughs> entirely too, for another, for another show. But uh, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about the program success, the rise to it here on the ice hour and uh, best of luck to your program uh, in future years. Hey, thanks. Thanks for all you do for D3 wrestling. Talk online.com.